everyone. Thanks for taking the time to stop by the campfire. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Last week, we had a great conversation with Stephen Gray Wallace about building resiliency in children. One thing he mentioned was this idea of introducing appropriate levels of risk for kids to experience. Now, in order to explore that idea a little bit, I've got a fantastic guest around the campfire, someone who has spent literally an entire career learning about how people learn and putting that knowledge into action. Paul Breyer is the Chief Empowerment Officer at Avid Forward Adventure, an organization that builds confidence and new skills in children at day and residential summer camps all over the country. As you'll hear from Paul, Avid Forward Adventure uses the great outdoors as the medium for this growth and their approach to learning from both actual and perceived risk. And that's an important distinction, and you're going to learn more about that in a little bit. Now, Paul certainly knows a lot about experiential learning. In addition to his CEO role at Avid4, he's also a longtime training consultant with Where There Be Dragons, which is a really cool teenage uh, learning program. Uh, He's also been a wilderness medicine instructor and preceptor with the Knowles Organization, which is an amazing group, and has served in various roles at Avid4 since 2003. This guy really knows his stuff. I hope you'll enjoy this great conversation about how we can help our children learn through risk with my new friend, Paul Dreyer. Paul, so nice to have you around the campfire. Happy to be here. So I'm intrigued by your organization because, you know, as a a summer camp guy uh, who's been doing this 20 years, we've been in one location, whichever location that's been at. Uh, But Avid for Adventure is really kind of all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that question. We are based out of Colorado, but we operate camps and programs in eight different states in most regions of the country. So the the Rockies uh, on the West Coast in Oregon, California and Washington, in the Midwest, in Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis and Chicago, and then on the East Coast in Boston and Portland, Maine. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, and and it's funny, you know, you're talking about the Rockies, you know, and being outside, then all you talk all of a sudden you're talking about some real serious urban centers, you know, with with Chicago and Boston and those areas. Um, but yet the whole point of your organization is to get kids outside, correct? Yeah, I would pivot that just a little bit. Outside is the medium for us. The, the point of our organization is to empower kids to lead active and healthy lifestyles in the outdoors. So it's really about combating um, childhood obesity and childhood diabetes and childhood screen time, right? Which is, right. is going up so much. So it's really about um, helping kids choose to be active and healthy. And then we use things like rock climbing and mountain biking, paddling, hiking, backpacking as our medium to provide those initial really joyful experiences in the outdoors. So it's interesting, you know, because we're, we're going to talk a lot about risk today. Um, and I know when parents initially think about their child, you know, climbing a mountain, um, canoeing out in the middle of a lake, even riding a bike, they're immediately saying, oh, you know, well, wear a helmet or that's a, it's going to be risky. But yet the, the purpose, the reason that y'all exist is actually to combat the risks that are inherent long term of those childhood obesity, too much screen time. I mean, there's actually a ton of risk in that uh, and letting that becoming a habit. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've thought about and educated a lot about risk in my career. And one of the, some of the terminologies that I often use with with parents say is um, actual versus perceived risk. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
you know, for example, I'll, I'll use a completely non-camp related uh, example where, where um, folks around the world are terrified by shark attacks, right? Mm-hmm. Because they make great stories, right? Yeah, my wife when, is when, one of them. <laughs> right. When, when someone gets attacked by a shark, it, it's headline worldwide news and it makes like a really great story and you remember that, mm-hmm. right? You remember that and you hold on to that risk. Although, but it, it's a, it is very much a perceived risk because the chance of getting attacked by a shark in any ocean is incredibly small. The probability is incredibly small um, where the actual risk is, is more on like hiking down a trail. And, and there've been many more deaths, like with folks just hiking down trail and falling than any kind of shark attacks, which happens like a couple few times a year. But you never hear about that. You never hear about the, the trail risk. But it, so it doesn't make a good story, right? So, so it's really, it's these, these percept, the perceptions of risks we hold on to in this like visual way, uh, but the actual risk, that, that's part of our job as running camps is, is to really educate and help talk to parents about actual risks. And, you know, it's specific to Avid for Adventure in our camp, you know, we get the most questions around rock climbing. Parents mm-hmm. are like, how do, how do you possibly do that at camp? How can you take, isn't that too dangerous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for our entire um, history of of our organization, we keep very detailed statistics on when kids get hurt, when there's incidents, when they're thirst aid uh, needed. And uh, statistically that happens like 0% of time with rock climbing. It is one of the safer things that we do, of course, still inherent risks, but much safer than, as I was mentioning, hiking or, or biking or just biking down the road, which is actually, I would say the riskiest thing that we do. Yeah, it's interesting. We have exactly the same um, methodology in terms of tracking incidents, you know, at not only at our summer camp, but lots of other summer camps around the country. And just like you said, rock climbing is so low in terms of the the, the risk factor, the, 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 the negative outcomes, I should say. You know, we actually have much more negative outcomes on the basketball court or on the soccer field, which people think, oh, that's basketball, you know, but talking about rolled ankles, broken fingers, that sort of thing. Um, whereas knock on wood, you know, we've never had a problem at, at the ropes course. Right, so exactly. We take an event that's inherently risky, or at least we, we think it's supposed to be risky. Obviously, if you do it in an unsafe way, it's going to be very risky. But why is that type of risk good for kids? So that type of, that perception of risk, that when, when you're able to lean into a perceived risk, that's the biggest educational space. And my guess is, Cole, that a lot of your audience listening has heard in one way or another about comfort zones. And, mm-hmm. and maybe I've seen some sort of diagram with concentric circles of like in the middle of the diagram is like your comfort zone, your safety zone. And it's kind of, it's, it's fun. It's like, you know, it feels good, but it, there's not like really true learning there. And the, the next layer out from, from that inner circle um, is really your, your learning zone. And then there's a, a third layer out from that, that is your panic zone, right? Where, where things are just too hard and you kind of shut down. And the, the, you know, this middle layer of this learning zone, I would argue that, that uh, most learning happens when there's risk involved, when there, and particularly when there's a, a relatively high perception of risk where someone is able to um, overcome that risk through little actual risk, little actual um, danger. So it's still a, a, you know, quote unquote, relatively safe environment mm-hmm. where someone can really lean in and be brave in that, in that space, enter that brave space or learning space. Um, and, 
you know, hopefully, hopefully have some failure, failure. So talking about rock climbing again, um, it, it, it's often new for kids and also new for parents. So they, there's a fear, there's a worry, there's a risk factor there. And then there's also fundamentally like skill development. So if someone's able to quickly develop some skills and have some quick success and realize at the end of their rock climbing day, wow, you know, like I didn't hit my head, I didn't fall, I, you know, all of these things. And we're able to develop some skills, have some success in a relatively short amount of time. That is incredibly rare in our environment, like the environments that you're, you were talking about before um, in, in kind of like the quote unquote realer world. Mm-hmm. We're able to create these, um, these learning moments in quick succession in an outdoor environment, whether it's rock climbing or um, learning how to stand up paddle for the first time when someone might have a fear of water, mm-hmm. but they're safe because they have a personal flotation device on. So we're able to create these brave spaces for folks to lean into and really get into that learning zone. So really, you've got to get the participant past the perceived uh, risk that you're talking about, because they look at that water, they look at the bike, or they look at whatever it is, and we know it's inherently not risky if done in the proper way. They have to get past that perceived risk that they have themselves. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's interesting. It's it's um, ideally they eventually get past that perceived risk, but but actually that's not the goal because maybe they all maybe they always stay fearful of climbing, but then but they have the and so maybe they our goal is not to be you know create kids that are you know total gung ho climbers or paddlers or bikers, right? But they have these touch points. They have this data point where they were scared of something but they did it and they succeeded. They might still be scared of something. And then something that, you know, shows up like speaking up in class, you mm-hmm. know, to, to deliver a speech. It's like they, they, even if they don't like have a conscious memory of that, they have a subconscious data point of like, okay, I remember this thing in my body, this physiological response where my heart rate went up, my breathing rate went up, uh, but then I got through it and I was okay at the other side of things. So, so that even if they don't get to the other side of the not being, uh, perceive, perceiving climbing as risk, it's still helpful in their overall development as a, as a kid and human being. That's awesome. So here's a, maybe a strange question, but I'm just thinking about a memory with my middle son, Jack. We were in the uh, South Dakota Black Hills and we went climbing on the, the sandstone there. And it was sure. absolutely amazing. It was so much fun. And yet he, at that point, was in sixth grade. So he was 12 and he scurried up this thing, you know, like he was a spider past probably what was safe. And now we had a great guide and they were there with them. But how can you put some maybe uh, guardrails around kids that might be have a much higher risk tolerance than maybe they should? Well, I'm going to answer that question. But first, I'm going to talk about one other thing first. I'm going to come Please. back to that question. But, you know, you, you, you bring up something that um, your your child just like scurried up this rock or like had mm-hmm. kind of little fear. And, you know, it's, and, and as we know, like it's so much easier for a child to pick something up than, you know, whether that be like learning a new language or learning a sport or doing something. So, you know, that's what, I mean, AVID programs, our programs start at the youngest age, preschool, age three, four, and five, oh, to really wow. introduce um, kids because to, to develop that love of nature, we know that that the the, easy, the earlier we start, the, the better for that. Yep. Um, but but coming back to your question in terms of guardrails for, for folks of like, you know, be, because risk, I, I think about risk management or I think about risk around like as risk management because 
of course, like I am a believer in leaning into risk and finding those positive risks and lean into as we were just talking about, but there has to be a management, there has to be guardrails. So one of the things that we do from the earliest age, from kids four and five years old, we introduce the concept of um, environmental briefings, which fundamentally is like looking around your environment and getting practice, like having your brain practice every time your environment changes. So okay, I've never been in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And here I am at the bottom of this sandstone cliff. My environment is about to change like vertically. And so anytime your environment changes, we teach kids to look around that environment and truly ask yourself three questions. What's changing about my environment? What's something that's bad that could happen because of the change in this environment? And what's like one rule that I can set for myself, right? Um, so your, your son's name, Jack, you said, yep. right? So Jack might've said like, okay, my environment's changing because it's about to go vertical. What's something bad that could happen? I could get too high and not be able to come down, mm-hmm. right? So what's a rule? I'm always going to stay like 10 feet next to my dad mm-hmm. so we can make decisions together or something like that. And we, we have kids practice this every day of camp, every time our environments are changing all the time. And so it's this muscle memory that gets built into to, to kids' brains so now all of a sudden, whether they're in the outdoor environment, school environment, home environment, and something's changing about their environment, this just like kicks in. They're able to like, whoa, something's changing about my environment. I got to ask myself these three questions and make like one or two rules for myself. Yeah, I love that. It's funny. I was trained a long time ago walking around a camp, um, one of my first camps, and it's this wonderful lady who was just an amazing camp professional and she was walking around with me and she said cole do you know the whole idea of the risks sphere i said no i what i'm not aware of that she said you need to look you know around you 360 but you also have to look above you and below you and so when you're opening up camp um you need to do a full like look all the way around your body like you're in a sphere and you have to see the entire sphere i said oh that's a really good idea she goes cole have you looked up recently and we were underneath we have these big beautiful trees at our camp she said have you looked up recently i said no and so i did and she smiles and there's half of a tree that's hanging off very precariously over one of these months now this is may this happened during the winter and sure. I hadn't noticed it because I was just looking just on my horizontal plane rather than looking straight up and like, oh my gosh. So we had time to do it. But ever since then, I was like, risk fear the entire time. I love that. And, you know, thinking about risk, and I, I know this podcast in such a great way, Cole, is about like bringing things home and bringing things into your world uh, mm-hmm. as parents and, and, and camp instructors and such. Um, and a lot of risk is around like language, like like bringing like, understanding the language. So then you can use it and raise awareness. So like, you know, understanding things like a, your, your sphere, um, risk sphere, like, like that's such great language. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me think of another term that I often uh, teach to is situational awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. in every situation, just raising your awareness, looking around, like looking in that sphere. So um, words really do, do matter when we're thinking about this sort of thing. Yeah. How do we get kids and I guess that you probably already touched on it. They start young. You know, if you're you're building these habits when they're four, five, and six, then hopefully when they are back home and they have the opportunity to make a possible bad decision or hopefully a possible good decision, that they fall back on those habits. You know, I'm thinking about our high schoolers as they go into social situations, you know, whether it be a party or whether they get into a car with somebody or we go in a school situation that they've already built those habits. Is that the best way to do it? Yes. I mean, habit develop, development is through practice. 
And the other thing that I would add to that, and I have touched on it a little bit, Cole, that I think it's really helpful for habit development to be in one environment and then transferable to really different environment. There's been like really good learning and brain learning theory and brain science around this that it's it's not important. Say, say to become like a really, really good free throw shooter in basketball, mm-hmm. um, old school thinking is like, you have to do, shoot as many free throws as possible in the exact same spot, exact same basket, all those things. Now they're saying like, it's actually better to, in a way like cross train to shoot from different aspects of the floor. That's going to become an even better shooter in the long term. Mm-hmm. And so like we we're talking about, if like, if someone has a positive experience with like a peer where they and a peer to make like a risk management decision when they're out on a hike or out on a backpacking trip as they're looking at a map or something like that. Um, that is directly relatable and transferable um, to showing up at the party where kids are drinking and they didn't realize that kids were going to be drinking at that party. Um, so more and more examples. So practicing the skill of risk management in disparate, like analogous environments is really helpful for learning and remembering. So how do we help kids cement that? Because, you know, we always talk about the after action report. You know, we, we right. do that at camp. You know, how did this go? What did we learn? Um, you know, there's a lot of that in outward uh, bound situations or, or outdoor learning environments, outdoor classrooms. They always have that debrief at the end. What, what are ways that camps and parents and teachers can kind of help draw that out? Yeah, you bet. So fundamentally what camp is, is experiential learning. And that's another term that most folks have probably heard. So experiential learning is about like learning through experience, right? And one of the things that experiential educators get wrong all the time is they're like, my job is to create an experience. And the experience, like, I mean, this is what we've been talking about, like rock climbing, paddling, biking, hiking, those sorts of things is like, that's it. Like all of the learning happens and they're able to immediately transfer that to to other uh, other moments, as I was just saying. But that is like a fallacy that experiential learning is just about the experience. Um, Some of your audience might be learning theory geeks like myself. If they want to look up the Kolb learning cycle, it's K-O-L-B. The Kolb learning cycle is this like, root of experiential learning. And, and sure, it starts with an experience, plan experience. But then really, I would say the most important thing about experiential learning, what the Kolb learning cycle goes to is reflection. So it's so important to have reflection in an age-appropriate way. So every day at camp, after, you know, at, at Avatar Adventure, after a kid goes through a day of climbing or a day of biking, we do some sort of reflection. And, and even with like a five, six-year-old, at a day camp experience, it could, this could just be like highlight, challenge point, and something you're looking forward to, to tomorrow. Like something very, very basic. It could be like something that they color or draw a picture of. And for older kids, it could be a 30-minute discussion in a circle where it's like, how does this relate to a social situation you experienced in high school, right? So there's lots of different ways to debrief and reflect but that is, that is the key thing that, that really needs to happen. And I love that you bring up not only with, with teachers and counselors, but with parents, right? Parents finding the right connection points for like how to keep that reflection going. And the last part of that uh, Kolb learning cycle is using that reflection to plan your next experience. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think the camp on the whole is, is great at creating rich experiences, but like you said, not very good at 
reflecting upon those. Because really, when you get down to it, the whole purpose of whether you're a parent or whether you're a camp director or a coach is the development of the youth in front of you you know, into you a, a, a full functioning, you know, adult. And is, was it um, only reflected experiences the way to a greater life? There's, there's, there's a quote in there from Aristotle, I believe it is, but an example of life is, is the one that's, that's poorly led. You know, an example of life is one that, that's richly led. So um, something like that. Yeah. yeah that, that's huge. I love the fact, the idea of, of using that reflection to then plan your next event. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that you touched on just a little bit ago was the idea of children at different ages will approach risk and approach reflection differently. What have you seen throughout the experience of working with children from, you know, four to to 17? You know, it's a great question. Um, The the first thing that comes to mind is, is maybe not what have I have seen, but, but maybe advice for, for educators, for, for Mm -hmm. parents, for family, for, for camp directors is that um, we need to be patient, that it's really easy for me and you, Cole, around this virtual campfire to say like, okay, we got to have an experience, kids are going to reflect on it, and then we're going to see this growth and development, and kids are going to be like, <laughs> um, and, and what, what is more realistic is, is that we as an ed- educator and parents may not see like that, that tangible result of that experience and that reflection, that next experience, until four or six or 12 years down the road. And so I think that that's really important for us to to understand that if we don't see an immediate effect, that does not mean that those experiences and that camp experience was not incredibly meaningful because, you know, I've spoken a lot of our staff over the years uh, when, when like maybe in an initial staff training and we say like, what, what was an impactful moment of your life and an impactful experience or person in your life? Um, a lot of folks will, will harken back to, to a camp experience or a counselor that they had when they were eight years old or, or, or 12 years old. And that was 10 or 15 years ago for our staff. Um, but but, the, but that's, they've held on to that person or that experience. And nine times out of 10, when they tell that story, it comes out that that person doesn't even know that counselor doesn't even know that the experience was impactful for that future adult. Right. So, so these things really take a long time to deepen and really get fully realized. Yeah. We had a really interesting experience uh, a couple of weeks ago with a a longtime camper um, who had kind of fallen on a hard summer and we were having a follow-up conversation, you know, with this camper and the, the camper said, brought up something that we had said around the campfire four years prior that during their reflection time, that part came up and that really hit home. We thought, oh my gosh, like they remember what we said four or five years ago and it impacted them today. You know, that's, it's a pretty chilling moment uh, and a humbling moment. And you better remember that everybody's listening and watching all the time. Yeah. We have this wonderful weight of responsibility as as folks that that, uh, run camps that that really, we, we are these um, in, incredible role models uh, for, for kids. And it's, um, it, it's, we can provide these pivotal, impactful moments for, for kids in both positive and negative ways. So it, 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 is, it really is this weight of responsibility. That's awesome. So how would you suggest to parents and to coaches and teachers, you know, where obviously everybody, life is experiential, but a lot of times we're sitting there, we're in a classroom or, you know, around the dinner table, what are ways that people back home that are, aren't in a, the experiential education industry like, like we are 
help to introduce some more of those healthy risks and help build some of those habits for, for kids. You bet. Well, before I answer that question as well, one caveat here is I'm talking to the digital universe. I don't know who the listeners are. I don't know who the coaches are and the parents are. So like, feel free to not take any of my advice. Like everything is situational. <laughs> you know your kids, whether you're a coach or a parent, like you know your kids obviously much better than, than, than me. So, so anything that I say next might be might totally not relate. So, so please, please know that I'm not trying to a parent for you or coach for you, you should yep. parent, you should coach. So big caveat there. Um, with that said, one thing that I would um, bring to this conversation is like, we've been talking about risk management. And I would argue that a lot of times in our culture, particularly, you know, across the United States, in our United States culture, when people think about risk or risk management, immediately like in coaches and parents and teachers' bodies, they translate that word risk management into risk avoidance, right? We're very good in wanting to um, create quote unquote safe spaces. And that's an impossibility. We cannot create safe spaces, but we, we have this tendency because of pressures from our culture to try to avoid risk, avoid risk, like safe spaces, say our kids have to be safe, safe, safe. It's like beat into us in so many different ways from all of our different media sources. And what that results in is when, when a kid asks a question, hey, can I climb that mountain in the Black Hills, right? Um, uh, can, I, um, can I climb this tree? Can I ride my bike here? Can I, like, you feel it, like, I mean, we know one of the things kids are really good at is asking questions, right? Like, we get questions all the time for our kiddos. Um, and because we, our culture has developed this risk avoidance and, like, keeping safe places, our first response is from that teacher, from the um, counselor at the swimming pool, and often from parents is no, like our responses start with no, because we want to avoid that. that, that um, and, and so my a piece of advice to think about, I'm going to bring in, I don't know if there, there's any um, expiring co uh, comedians out there or folks who have done improv, but there's like one first rule in improv and improv is basically life, right? Like we're improv yep. all the time. And the first rule of improv is yes. And right. Like every, every response yep should start with yes and, and. <laughs> right? And so can I climb that tree? Can I ride my bike there? Can I climb this thing? Um, something to think about and practice with is responding yes. And let's add in looking at our environment. Let's add in looking at those risks and let's set some rules for ourselves, right? So you can bring this concept of environmental briefings home by employing this like yes and. Let's respond yes, but then you together with your child of any age become risk managers together. I love that idea. Well, and it's funny, our, uh, our associate director, Sue, said the other day that, you know, her daughter, who was five, said, well, I really want to ride my bike to my friend's house. And she said, yes, and I'm going to come with you. You yes, know, and it was it was perfect. I not thought about it from that standpoint, but that makes total sense that you're giving a kid license to go explore some of that risk and you're there to help in case it's needed. And then you can slowly get further back. And then once you tr know that they've done it. Uh, they can go. We have um, you know, a friend of another camp said that uh, his young maintenance person really wanted to learn how to snowplow. And there, you can create a lot of damage with a snowplow if you sure. don't know what you're doing. So he said, yes, and I'm going to go with, you're going to go with me the first two times and I'm going to go with you and then I'm going to turn you loose if, if you pass. I was like, that's, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that's great. And it really is. It's uh, another one of these easier said than done. You know, we, we oh, are yeah. like very practiced now as a culture um, at saying no for folks. So um, that's my piece of advice. Just like practice it, try it on and 
call yourself out of like, ooh, that if, if you say no and re- recognize it later on, that's also positive, right? Be like that. That's a data point of reflection to help you with your next experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and also I think, as we said earlier on in this conversation, by not allowing our young people to risk, we're actually creating much greater risks down the, down the line. I agree. We're not setting up setting them up for success. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Paul, so tell me a little bit more. If, if people want to learn more about Avid for Adventure, what you guys do, where you guys are, if they're you know you're in their local area, what's the best way to reach out, and, and what's something you would love to leave them with about y'all's organization? Yeah, you bet. So the best way is to go to the website um, Avid com. So A V I D and then the number four dot com. So uh, organization is Avid for Adventure. We do all things adventurous. Uh, we're, we're in eight different states, as I mentioned, but all of that is on the website. Just go to the website. And w- a couple of things that I would leave uh, your audience with, Cole, is wherever you are, you can experience Avid for Adventure, right? Because we have day camps, we have overnight camps, we have expedition camps, and um, folks fly from all over the world to, to, to our camps. And uh, we'll help facilitate your experience wherever you are. More and more uh, folks are, um, even if they live in a place, say, say uh, you, you live in New York City, but uh, uh, parents will come out for uh, a week or, or a month to, uh, to in or- for Oregon for the summer mm-hmm. uh, and just a family vacation, rent a house and uh, put their kids in camp for, for a week or a couple of weeks or something like that. Uh, so check us out on the website. Um, if you have any questions beyond that, um, I am happy to share my direct um, uh, email as well. It's just paul at avid4.com. If you have questions about camp or risk or how you said yes and, I love hearing those stories as well. That's fantastic. Well, Paul, thanks so much. And I think you actually might have to start uh, including adults in y'all's adventure uh, programming because it sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> it is a very common question. Um, wow, it's way harder to do environmental briefings with adults than <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We're lucky we get to work with kids. So yeah, agreed. <laughs> well, wonderful. Paul, thanks again so much for your time, your generous sharing about risk. And, you know, here's to a very safe summer for you guys coming up. Um, and, and yes, I will definitely put all the information on the website um, and our, our page here so that people can contact you if they want to learn more about Avid for Adventure or about risk management uh, and risk introduction and all the healthy things we can do with risk. So Paul, thanks for being around the campfire. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Cole. There is so much that I plan on remembering from Paul. It's it's kind of hard to keep it all organized, but here are some of the big points that I thought were were most awesome. The I, the distinction of actual versus perceived risk is a huge idea, especially as we learn more in the learning zone situations that are high in perceived risks. Um, instructing my boys on the environmental briefing idea, that's now on the docket, especially as one of our boys is heading off to college pretty soon. I want them to be able to read the lay of the land, if you will, and make some decisions based on that and be intentional about that. And I love the yes and technique. That is definitely something that I see, frankly, to be just as important for me as a a parent as it is for, for my child. There is so much of what we've learned at summer camp that can be applied back home. While it's hard to rank the most applicable or important skills, I think mentoring children through this perceived risks that they face at camp, whether it's climbing the wall or getting up on stage or making a new friend, 
that should probably be in the top three. Very few experiences can create the feeling of competence and of independence as overcoming something that's perceived to be really challenging, maybe even impossible. But when we give our kids that gift, and it, it is a gift, then we open up their future. Thanks, Paul, for all the great reminders. Here's to hoping that we'll put them all to work. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll leave a five-star review on whatever service you're using. The better the reviews, the more these ideas will spread. And please share it with a friend. Our campfire circle is big enough for everyone. Until we speak again, do good and be good. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. Scope stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. Scope campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at support scope.